Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our title is, How Do We Flourish as Leaders Under Unrelenting Pressure? How do we flourish as leaders under unrelenting pressure? Uh, there, there are significant uh, crises that continue to cascade upon us as leaders in the church around the world. Uh, this, of course, uh, began in earnest around COVID-19 uh, with the pandemic, and then that, of course, launched all kinds of economic shifts and trends uh, to accelerate. Uh, and then we had other, at least here in the United States, extreme political divisiveness, elections, leadership scandals, issues of racial, social upheavals, uh, and uh, a number of other things, and <laughs> to say the least. And so we've had to pivot uh, in order to lead. Uh, and I think the word used uh, very often by people I speak to who are in leadership is it's overwhelming uh, to shift again uh, into the what is the new normal uh, and figure out how do I lead in the middle of all that. And so it's enormous challenge when we talk about flourishing as leaders under unrelenting pressure. Uh, the key word there is flourish because the world around us, everyone is stressed and overloaded and depleted, exhausted, striving, just surviving. Uh, people in our churches and our ministries are feeling that way, uh, the folks we lead, and then we've got us as leaders feeling that way. And so uh, it's not it's not uncommon for someone to say to me, Pete, what you're talking about is flourishing under unrelenting pressure. It's just not possible. And I just want to say at the outset here as we launch that uh, the great words of Jesus to the 12 disciples after hearing about from the rich young ruler who walked away, he said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible to be saved, but with God, everything is possible. What I want to say to you today is that it is very possible by the Holy Spirit in God to flourish under unrelenting pressure. Now, we spend most of our time, we spend on an outer world focus. In other words, we're, we're fixing things, solving problems, strategizing, moving things forward, uh, manipulating, in a sense, external realities. Uh, that's the large proportion of our time. Uh, and what can happen easily is we, we end up ignoring or at least skimming on our inner world. And so we, we expand the ministry without thinking too much about, um, you know, of, of Jesus and his ways in the process. We, we end up giving out a lot without a sense of what we've got to give from the inside. We end up relying on our talents and gifts and experience and um, rather than Jesus uh, and his wisdom and energy. And uh, and so I have an answer. How do we flourish as, as a leader uh, under unrelenting pressure? I have one answer, uh, and I want to come at this answer from many different angles uh, throughout this podcast today. It's a multifaceted answer, and it's very simple to this, that we must deepen our ability to be before we do if we are going to flourish under unrelenting pressure. I, I don't think there's any sense that the world's going to slow down. I think we can expect greater pressures on us as leaders. But there is a way to flourish in, in the midst of that, and it's going to require that we deepen our ability to be before we do. Now, let me just explain what it means to be before we do. You've heard me use that phrase if, you, if you're listening to this podcast before, uh, but let me give a brief definition. A person who practices being before doing operates from a place of, of emotional and spiritual fullness, Right? So they're, they're deeply aware of themselves, of other people, of God. And as a result, their being with God is sufficient to sustain their doing for him. And so when we talk about emotional fullness, we're referring to a high level of awareness of what's going on inside of us. 
And then spiritual fullness, it refers to this, this balance of being with God and our doing for God where we're careful not to engage in activities uh, beyond what our spiritual or physical or emotional reserves can handle. Uh, and so we actually are receiving more from God than we're doing for him. We're, we're enjoying Jesus when we share with other people. We're, we've got some rhythms in our lives, sustainable rhythms that make it possible to handle the pressures outside of us and the demands coming at us. And so our cup, we think of our cup with God, it's full. It's not empty. It's, it's overflowing. Uh, and so we're giving out of something that's full inside of us. Uh, and so, and, and we can actually, when we're, when we're being before doing, we actually can detect the symptoms inside of ourselves when we're getting depleted or getting out of whack and we pivot and we can adjust our schedules and lifestyles so that we can recognize God's presence in ourselves and other people because we realize that is our great gift to give everybody. That's our, that's our contribution to the world, regardless of what our role might be. But make no mistake about it, this is our number one challenge every single day. It's my number one challenge every day, every week, every month, every year. Uh, and it is the calling, really, I have to say, for all of us. Now, the story in Scripture, which uh, I would say personifies this more than any other, is, is the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, and where you have Martha active for Jesus. She's serving him. She's um, she's actively, uh, you know, taking care of the meal, being hospitable, uh, but she's missing Jesus, and she's irritated, she's angry, she's complaining, she's bothered. Uh, but Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and and we've got the active life and what's called the contemplative life, the doing and the being. And this has been talked about all through history. And and uh, but Jesus says, Mary has chosen what's better; it will not be taken away from her. But we're all Mary and Marthas, and the key is how do we be. Martha active while we're being like a Mary in posture, listening and being with him before what he said. And so that great challenge is the great call for all of us in leadership. And we see this in Jesus himself. In his intentionally, in his three-year ministry, we see him moving between doing active ministry and being alone. We see him, I'm in the middle of studying the gospel of Mark and three major junctures. He, we see him repeatedly going away to be alone with the Father. But in three major junctures, he pulls away from the crowds in a more significant way to resist the temptations uh, of being pulled away from by their voices and their expectations uh, and their ideas of what he should be doing. Uh, and he gets anchored in the Father in a desert place. And then he returns back into active ministry. And so we see this, him moving beautifully between being and doing. And then, of course, when he calls the 12 disciples, his first call for them is to be with him out of which they then preach and drive out demons. But it's that first call to be with Jesus. That's our first call is being. And again, the invitation right now, friends, in this days in which we're living is to deepen our being out of which we do. Uh, and we see this, of course, in the in the Acts chapter 6, in the uh, disciples, the apostles, when they don't get carried away in all the activity, but they anchor themselves in the word of God in prayer uh, first uh, as they lead the church. And so, uh, and, and one of my great examples as well is the, the early church, uh, had what's called the church fathers, uh, and the early five, six, seven centuries of the church, uh, they're called the doctors of the church. Uh, they were considered the eight greatest pastor leaders, uh, in early church history. And, uh, Athanasius, Gregory of Nazianus, Basil the Great, Ambrose, Jerome, John Chrysostom, Augustine, and Gregory the Great. 
But what's so fascinating is that most of them, almost all of them were monks first uh, that were anchored in a life of prayer and being with God. And then they were preachers, they were bishops, they were theologians, uh, they were great leaders uh, navigating uh, tremendous uh, tensions in the early church under great pressure. Uh, but we learn a lot from their lives in that they were first deeply grounded uh, in prayer as monks, out of which then they led the church. Uh, they were contemplative activists. It's a good word for them. I love what Aquinas calls uh, the highest calling of a, of, a, of a Christian leader is the mixed life of I'm active, but I'm first a contemplative of being with God. I'm a contemplative activist. And our uh, our dream at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship is to is a movement of pastors and leaders um, who are contemplative activists, that we're, we're coming from a deep inner place with God out of which we lead for him. And I, the, the days in which we're living have forced, uh, I believe, the wake-up call for all of us and that our rhythms of being and doing prior to the pandemic that hit a year and a half ago um, have have are, are insufficient for the pressure we're under right now and the shifting shifts taking place in our culture and the church and the world. Uh, and so there's a call from God, an invitation from God to deepen our being with him out of which we do for him. And so I, I pray and trust that you'll redo the way you're following Jesus. What you did before was perhaps fine, but we're li- it's a new day. Uh, and it's going to require a new set of perhaps rhythms and skills and way of relating to Jesus, yourself, and other people. So I want to invite you that, that that you shift your job description, whatever you might be doing. Now, I know there's thousands of you listening from all over the world right now, and you've got all different job descriptions, but that you'd put in there maybe invisibly if you can't do it formally, uh, but to put in your first line of your job description is, I want to mature as a follower of Jesus, uh, so uh, that my being with him uh will be deep enough so that my doing for him will come out of the overflow. In other words, I will mature as a follower of Jesus, being with him out of which I do for him. That's quite a statement. Uh, And that's an entire lifestyle shift. Uh, And I do this out of love for Jesus and his sheep. I I made this shift actually um, over 25 years ago, and I had to write it down on my job description and look at it. I put it in my journal. Uh, I had to give it to you know, the elder board. Uh, I eventually made all the staff put it their number one job description. Um, and it had become such a part of the culture because everything in the culture is it leads us to just do, 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 do. And uh, we end up, you know, again, spiraling out of control often and, and into a place of striving. But if we love God's people and his sheep uh, and Jesus, uh, I've got to be with him uh, out of which I do for him. So for me, that meant doing things like you know, at that point, I, I was learning from uh, Trappist and Benedictine monks. I, I I sought spiritual mentors and spiritual directors and therapists and wise people uh, that could help me on this new journey of deepening my being with him. I, I began to take days alone with God. I had to learn, how do I have a day alone with God? Uh, I went and I've actually got a doctor of ministry uh, as well, a three-year program. I think I took four years to finish it uh, because I want to invest in my being. Uh, began to invest in my marriage uh, as part of my being. How, how do I, you know, learning how to have a marriage as a sign of wonder for Christ. I uh, attended seminars uh, each year. Uh, I did seasons of, of therapy. Uh, I read broadly different kinds of books. I, I took not just Sabbaths, but sabbaticals 
uh, for three to four months uh, every seven to eight years. Uh, in fact, I'm quite convinced we need if those those words we're we're serving we're serving in significant leadership in God's church. We need seasons away from the activity for sabbaticals uh, to stop, rest, delight, get our soil replenished uh, for the long haul. I was talking to a young leader recently, and I in his 30s, and I I said to him, I said, you've got to get perspective. Uh, he's very busy juggling a lot of balls, feeling the pressure of post-pandemic churches beginning churches beginning to meet weekly. And I said, you've got to see the, the, the next 30, 40, 50 years of your life as you serve Jesus. Uh, I, you've got to slow it down and redo your rhythms and deepen your being with God so you can lead out of a cup that overflows uh, and uh, embrace some of the limits that that's going to bring on you, which I'll talk about in just a second. Now, I'm talking about friends coming to a place where you say to yourself, I cannot not do this. I'd rather die than not go on this journey, regardless of the cost of how do I deepen my being with Jesus out of which I do so I can flourish as a leader. I want to invite you to make the radical decision of the desert fathers in the third, fourth, and fifth centuries who uh, made a radical decision to flee the, the, the church at that time as well, that had become very worldly as well as the world, to get to God. Uh, and they saw themselves as following that ancient path of Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, and get to God, life and death. And so I want to invite you to make a, a, a life and death decision. Say, I, I don't know, Pete, how to do this, uh, but I, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit's going to guide me in this. Um, and I'm going to begin to monitor myself each day, each week, uh, each month. Uh, listen, even as I prepared today for this podcast— uh, I, I need to make adjustments so that I could come from a centered place um, and so that my doing of delivering the podcast here on my little computer uh, could come out of a place of being with him. Listen, it's like getting off crack cocaine uh, and drugs to, to flourish under unrelenting pressure uh, because there's just not a lot of models around us for that. And I've had people say to me, Pete, one pastor said, I can't slow down. Pete, the work will fall apart. And I just said, well, yeah, but if you don't slow down and and do this, the work will fall apart. Uh, You'll fall apart. But God's coming to you in your body. He's coming to you uh, in your anxiety and your frustration. And so this invitation to self-differentiate from all the pressure around us is our most important work. It's living in that that peace of God which, which passes all understanding that is our great work. And if we do less, uh, out of that cup will overflow something that's God. We'll do less, but God will get more fruit from it because it'll actually be him flowing out of us. So I want to talk to you for the rest of this podcast about three things, three aspects of this uh, deepening our being out of which we do that have been so uh, critical for me and they continue to be critical for me. Uh, to continue deepening my own being out of which I do for God. And uh, so I'll take one at a time here. Uh, The first is the issue of surrender. Uh, That that I'm surrendering out of a place of uh, stillness and and silence, but I'm also surrendering out of what's going on in my body, my feelings. In other words, if we're going to deepen our our being for God out of which we do for him, uh, this issue of silence and stillness has got to be foundational in our lives. We've got to nurture our relationship with God. Uh, it, it's, 
Because what happens in silence and stillness, if we're doing it properly before the Lord, we are surrendering our wills uh, to his will. We are letting go of control and power, which is a recipe for misery, uh, and surrendering to his uh, his plans, uh, whatever they might be. And you can rest assured they will be different than yours. We're letting go of our agendas. Uh, we're communing with God, allowing him to transform us, allowing him to speak, allowing him to lead, uh, allowing him to take us into some change and transition and often pain to take us to new places. You see, we can't get to the place God's inviting us to without being stripped of what we think we can't live without. In other words, what, God's seeking, what God is seeking to make you, that is your, your true self in him, is beyond anything you could imagine. And so we are engaged in a great process of transformation, much like a caterpillar moves uh, to a chrysalis and a cocoon then to a butterfly who flies. It's a tremendous process. It's still the same you, but markedly different by the time God is finished with you. Uh, and, and, uh, listen, surrendering is coming to a place or asking God to help you where I say, I have nothing to fear from the apparent losses in my life. And I have nothing to gain from short-lived success, worldly success, or achievements. I want you to imagine just you're surrendering where you're letting go of striving. You're not holding on to anything. You're not grasping anything. You're actually free. Um, and you're able to say, you're able to cling to Jesus, cling to him and him alone. And so your hands are not clenched but open. And you're saying, I'm, I've got nothing to fear from these losses happening around me as changes happen. I've got nothing. And even if you're successful in a worldly sense of world, you're making some achievements and maybe people are noticing, but you're not, you recognize you have nothing to gain from that either. And you let go of that also um, because you're holding on to him and him alone. You're in this place of surrender. This is, this is our key life work. And so we need silence a, a, a great practice of silence and stillness. And for that, I want to invite you, encourage you to take five, 10, you know, 20 minutes per day of just being still before the Lord and surrendering to him. Listen, if a building is going to last, the foundation is the most important feature. Well, our inner life with Jesus is the foundation. And so I, I've got to craft space for that. I've got to make time for that. Now, related to that is also paying attention to my feelings, taking the time to actually journal, write what's what's going on inside of me, noticing it, not just racing through it. And again, we see this in David and Job and Moses and Jeremiah. You know, so I'm asking myself questions about, well, you know, why am I impatient? Why am I full of anxiety today? You know, what? why am I in a hurry? Why am I angry? Uh, why was I so defensive uh, yesterday? And so right now, I am in the midst of transition uh, here as we enter the early summer months and uh, moved in with my living with our daughter and her family and husband and children. And so I've had some shifts in my office and how I'm working and my routine, changing my family. And so I found myself anxious uh, and kind of bewildered, like, oh no, you know? And I was like, so I had to take some time to just journal and get in touch with what was happening inside of me. Um, and I ended up going back to my journal over the last exercise of, of last two years of kind of tracing it into the pandemic and shifts. Uh, and uh, what, what are things that God's been saying to me, some consistent themes, because there seem to have been so many transitions and upheavals over the last couple of years 
uh, not just around me, but also in me and all good. And I want to be in touch with reality because we're not in touch with reality. We're not in true spirituality. Um, and I rec- in, and I recognize that in feelings, God's there. God's gifts are there to slow down and listen. He, God speaks, of course, through scripture and prophetic words, and uh, but he also speaks through sadness and depression and anger and unhappy coworkers and a life that periodically spins out of control. The body is a major prophet, not a minor one. We say that all the time at EH Discipleship, and and that this slowing down to feel is one key element to discerning of God's will. And so that's why it's important to have some, again, wise mentors or counselors or, you know, spiritual directors, folks who can help you get to know yourself, to listen to God, not just from the outside, but from the inside of us. And it helps us surrender to what is God saying? What's the, how's the Holy Spirit leading me? And, uh, and so again, every hour, every, every day, every week, every month, I'm, I'm monitoring that. But there's a second key factor to the surrender, and it's this gift of limits, that I'm, I'm surrendering uh, to the limits God's placed around me. Uh, because part of the unrelenting pressure is feel like, feeling like I don't get, I'm not getting anything done or it's not finished. And so when I lose perspective around a theology of limits, I end up doing what Adam and Eve did, who grasped the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they violated the limits that were gifts from God right in front of them to not eat from that tree, and it unleashed all kinds of chaos. And so God's given you a work to do. It's a, it may seem like a little work, and it is a little work in light of all of eternity, but it's an important work for you to do. And so what I put on the back of my journal, uh, and I just start starting a new journal, and i posting on the back of my new journal, is this story by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who, when he was writing Lord of the Rings, was very frustrated by his limits and the incompleteness of his work as a writer. So he wrote a story called Leaf by Niggle. And it's such a profound story about um, staying grounded and to me surrendering for me of to God's gift of limits. And it's, a, it's such a safe, secure place to be. And the story goes something like this. Niggle is an artist who has been painting a, a beautiful landscape. He's got this passion for this detailed scene centered around a magnificent tree. The only problem is Niggle is too distracted to actually paint the whole tree. It keeps Neighbors keep distracting him with odd jobs, and he's getting interrupted all the time. And he spent all his time painting just a single leaf on the tree trying to capture its shape. Yet he wanted to paint the whole tree, and he's just never satisfied. But one day, Niggle dies. And he wakes up in this unfamiliar place. And he comes upon a, upon a bicycle with a yellow label tied to the handlebars that reads Niggle. Niggle gets on the bike and begins riding through a meadow. He looks up and he sees something so incredible that he falls off his bicycle. And there it is, his tree. The tree he'd been painting his whole life, but he'd never finished. And here it was, finished. But it was not a painting, it was a living tree. And uh, Tolkien writes, before him stood the tree, finished. And if you could say that the tree was alive, its leaves opening, its branches were growing, was bending in the wind. And he gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms, and Niggle said, it's a gift. And Niggle realizes the work he did in his earthly life was a gift. But even more, he discovers the work in his earthly life was only a partial reflection of the greater work that would only find its completion in the life to come. 
And so it is with us. We recognize it. For me, it's like, and you, that we've got a work to do, but it'll never be finished, this, this, this side of heaven. But like John the Baptist, we can say, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John the Baptist, 3.27, as his ministry begins to decrease. Or Jesus in the desert when he says no to Satan's temptations to violate the Father's limits. Because God's got limits around you and I, uh, and unrelenting pressure puts new limits on us. We can't do it all. And we just have to surrender to those limits so that God can build into us wisdom and discernment and keep us humble, that we're not in charge running the world, uh, and we encounter God in whole new ways. In fact, that's why I want to invite you to uh, actually develop and craft a rule of life, because a rule of life is a comes out of the you know, early centuries of monasticism, the Desert Fathers, actually. Uh, it's a way of uh, embracing the limits in our life. Uh, it, and so we've developed a tool uh, to take Benedictine spirituality, or rule of life, um, that's available to you. It's free on our website. Uh, and it takes kind of four areas of your life, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. <clears throat> and I do a short teaching on a rule of life. I give you an example of what mine looks like and then lead you into crafting your own. And what it will do is it helps you get a sense of the limits around you, and you can hopefully, by God's grace, surrender to them versus be angry at them. So just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And you'll actually see four transformational videos, ones on Sabbath, genogram, a community temperature reading. But you want to open the one that says a rule of life. Again, it's free. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org-team. It's a great, uh, great uh, tool. But if we're going to flourish, it's not just we have to surrender as a in silence and stillness and with what's going on in our bodies, but I want to receive God's gift of limits as well if I'm going to flourish. But there's a third key ingredient, which for me has been life and death, and that's this. It's remembering the mustard seed nature of Jesus's work and kingdom the mustard seed, kind of upside-down nature of, of Jesus' work, the way he, he functions. And he said the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed, the smallest, he said, of all seeds on earth. And when it planted, it grows, it become, and eventually becomes the largest of garden plants. But he says his kingdom is like this little mustard seed, infinitesimally small. It's weak. Uh, it's apparently insignificant. It looks defeated. It's unexpectedly vulnerable. If you, if you think about the, the soil and the seeds, the sour, the sower, the seed, three of the four soils get, you know, they get consumed by thorns and rocks. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is, is often hidden. It, it's apparently small in terms of what people expect, uh, wanting God to show up in some powerful, you know, visible way. It almost goes unnoticed. It, it doesn't make the newspapers. Uh, Jesus didn't do force or striving like the zealots of his day wanted. Uh, and of course, the historians ignored him for the most part of his day. But yet the seed, Jesus says, the seed of my kingdom has a power of its own. It's going to follow its own appointed course, but we can't fully understand it. It comes and grows mysteriously. There's a certainty of harvest, but we know not how it happens. Uh, in other words, God's sowing seeds in and all around us. Uh, so therefore, we can relax. It's, there's going to be a certainty of harvest, uh, but it's... It's uh, it's weak. It's apparently insignificant. It doesn't look so flashy. But we're invited to trust him. Uh, what you're doing is important. 
but you can't speed up the work of God. Uh, it's a seed. Uh, and certain things only grow in the dark. Think of it. Seeds go into the darkness of the ground, like bulbs go into the ground, babies in the womb, but they're growing. And that includes us. Uh, we grow in the dark so often. And uh, Jesus brings his disciples into storms. He sends them into storms for revelation, for transformation. He sends us into storms. Uh, these unrelenting pressures are storms that are meant to form us and shape us and birth new things. And just like a caterpillar moves to become a butterfly, it has to pass through a cocoon, that chrysalis time, but in that cocoon, there's a radical change going on. There's, there's disintegration of that caterpillar as it's forming into a butterfly. There's darkness, there's silence, there's isolation. It looks like nothing is happening, but everything is happening. It can sometimes seem like nothing is happening in our work and us, uh, and yet everything is happening. It's our best times, even though it looks like it's our worst so how do we flourish as leaders under unrelenting pressure? We must deepen our ability to be before we do. And that's going to involve surrendering, uh, deep, and deep surrendering, letting go, uh, 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 surrendering to limits that God puts around us. It's, it's surrendering to the mustard seed way of God's kingdom. Uh, and maybe what you did to this point prior in your spiritual formation and leadership was okay, but now it's just not adequate for the kind of pressures we find ourselves on. To so uh, find ourselves on. So you, you want to be learning from some trusted companions as you go forward on this journey. I I pray this emotionally healthy leader podcast is maybe one companion for you. Uh, but you want to be able to say to people, invite people, hey, imitate me, as I imitate imitate Christ. But this must become your number one work to be before you do. Uh, yes, it may appear to be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's why he's living inside of you by the Holy Spirit to bring you into that new reality. So let me invite you again to uh, develop a rule of life and uh, as a nice first step from here, uh, an intentional conscious plan to put God at the center of everything you do and embrace the limits he's placed around you. So just go to www.emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Uh, and look at that team transformational video on how do I develop a rule of life. Thank you, everyone. It's been so good to be with you. I pray God's good hand upon you today. May you be blessed and may your life be a blessing to everyone you touch. God bless everybody. <laughs>